are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. For Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 15th of January. We've got the whole crew here tonight, and we're going to talk about a variety of games. I had not planned on talking about Life is Strange for the Storm too much. I, I knew I was going to finish the final episode, and I assumed I would just pop on and say, I was right, it was awesome, let's move on to some other games. Sadly, they had to fuck up a couple of things. And <laughs> I think it's important enough just to briefly touch on it. So, once again, spoiler warning. Same with you guys. If you want to kind of mute me for a couple of minutes, knock yourself out. First and foremost, there's a character that you see that is a friend early on that, in that third episode, goes off the rails in a very aggressive, harassing fashion towards her. And... We live in a time now where we are being bombarded, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, bombarded with reports constantly that is really going a long way towards cluing especially men in, well, I shouldn't say especially, men into just how often women have to do this and put up with this kind of bullshit and be, hell, afraid for their lives on blind dates. That was a pretty hot topic of conversation today on Twitter. And so while I can appreciate that a long-term friend that suddenly turns into a an insanely possessive, dangerous person in front of your eyes happens, quite likely with more frequency than anybody is willing to admit, there's still a way that I feel you can present that in the story so that it doesn't feel so unbelievably forced as a narrative hurdle, so to speak, in that time. It it almost felt as though they got to a, a, a spot in the game and while you're doing something with Chloe that requires concentration, requires a lot of investigating, etc., etc., they thought, okay, she needs another hurdle here. Let's throw this guy who has been a friend forever and had a crush on her, and all of a sudden he's going to be, again, I can't stress, off the fucking deep end. And so that's that bothered me. Again, not because it happened so much as the way that it was done. It could have done been done far better to for, for narrative. Again, I understand that the reality is this shit happens, but... This is a story, and it could have been presented and still have it there, but presented far better. More importantly than that, however, and this is this is a much bigger spoiler warning. When you get towards the end, you have been working with Rachel to help her with everything that she's going through that is dealing with her father and mother. And you have the option of really kind of essentially, you know, taking control and saying, don't worry, I got this. You can just heal, get better, relax. I'll take care of these things and then we'll we'll get through together. And so as you're doing these things and uncovering truths and whatnot, well, you're uncovering truths about her father that she doesn't know. Now, this is the third episode, and in um, each episode, again, Rachel is going through a very hard time. And I, 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 it's tricky because I don't want to spoil too much, so I'm trying to be careful with how I'm wording things. But Rachel is going through a lot. And not even the shit that you see in Life is Range, just a whole bunch of other shit. And so a lot of the things that you uncover then... Clearly, you're going to have the choice as to whether or not to tell her. Now, there's a point where she 
She doesn't exactly forgive her father. However, because of bad things that happened to her, she leans on him again. And she has that that security blanket of being still a teenage girl and her father protecting her or trying to, you know, and that means a lot. However, there's a point where a female character is telling your female character, Chloe, not to tell Rachel the truth about the, the depths that her father has sunk to protect her. And I did not like that, especially because of how the dialogue options present themselves, especially because of how she frames that conversation. And then later on as well. And you may have caught my Twitter rant on it too, (laughs) but it's literally the option to quote unquote protect Rachel is to lie to her about a homicidal maniac that is overprotective and is a would-be murderer had I not gotten there in time. Leaving Rachel with a murderer is, quote-unquote, protecting her. It's not presented in a, well, you'll be protecting his story, so obviously it's better for her, for him, and then her well maybe not knowing is the best way it could have been presented in those ways which it wouldn't have been right either but at least it wouldn't have been presented as the option to protect rachel is to leave her with a homicidal maniac and that fucking pissed me off because that's not that the characters that there's flaws in the character design or in shit like that that's on the writers that's square on the writers or creative team that made that decision that's on them it's it pissed me off to no fucking end here you have this spectacular story that up until that point i felt was treating these young women with a lot of respect showing a ton of depth that could go any fucking way at points because you can choose to be friendly if you want like with david or you can just keep saying fuck you buddy at even at points where he's really trying. He's still a fucking dictator asshole, but there's a point where you're going, okay, you're trying here, and this is supposed to be the point where we're like, eh, all right. I, I said fuck that <laughs> shit. But once again, your character can have as much depth in those, those moments as you want. And then the relationship between the two young girls, again, was never titillating or stupid bullshit like that. It was just this really nice and and despite all the, the bullshit they're going through, it's still an innocent story of teenage affection and love. And you also get to see, because of the depth of that relationship between Chloe and, and Rachel, now all of a sudden, Chloe's reactions to A, Rachel missing all the way to what inevitably happens, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. I, I get it, yeah. Like, this was this was more than just infatuation. And for her to lose that after having lost her father and after Max was gone for years kind of thing, like, you can see, like, this kid has gone through hell. So then for it to be handled like this at the end fucking pissed me off. Is it still worth playing? Yes. I still firmly believe it's worth playing, but I think that it's kind of important to know what you're getting into in that third episode and maybe depending on how you handle it maybe you won't even see that kind of thing although I think the options with the father at the end pretty much are hard-coded in regardless of what you do but I could be wrong but regardless the story up until that point especially if you have played the first one or if you intend to I still think that you should you should play it Uh, And I also know that for some people, it won't be as much of a trigger as it was for me, as much as I hate using that expression. But I, again, it could have, sorry, it should have been handled so much better at the end. That's all I'll say about that. So how about we move on to Destiny, because we've got some more news about that as well. Marty, go ahead. 
Yeah, so on the 11th, after weeks of talking about what they're going to do, uh, Bungie did Apology 2.0, I guess, and they are (laughs) trying to regain some of that uh, goodwill that they squandered with their dumbass idea regarding loot boxes, um, and they're being more communicative, which I appreciate, and they're not changing a lot of the nature of the game that they've designed, but they are adding and rebalancing. And as they said in their post, taking a step away from Eververse and the randomness of it and the lean that they've been doing on the microtransaction. In long story short, uh, you buy Destiny 2, you're going to get to play a lot of core content that will be updated. If you buy the expansions, you're going to get access to new raid layers um, and other things but the big deal is uh, emotes, sh- shaders, and I believe ships are now part of this elective uh, tier of purchasing. So, and, and also, so like, you know, if you didn't buy Curse of Osiris, which I don't know why you wouldn't have, because the curse is pretty great, um, you're still going to get to play in the faction rally that starts this weekend, uh, this week, which uh, now that my my fire team is back together. Uh, I'm going to be playing a lot more destiny than Stellaris. So we're going to be doing a ton in the faction rally, even though they're filthy dead orbits or new monarchy. And I am of course, you know, space paladins because that's, that's what y'all should be. Uh, They're talking also about rebalancing and uh, increasing loot drops. And I'm not sure this is going to go to fix everything, they are, try- it looks like they're trying, but again, what matters is not that they're trying. What is going to matter is their execution. And you can say a lot uh, when you have some goodwill left, but after you have, you know, capped XP while you're making it difficult to grind stuff out, the grind is not fun anymore. It's going to take a lot more than just a weekly post saying, this is how we're going to regain your trust to get back and doing things. I I don't know about you guys. I did not read the Kotaku article about like how destiny two was rebooted once again in the middle of development, just like with destiny one, that type of stuff does not interest me. Um, But did you guys read it? Yeah. I I didn't even know it was a thing. I don't know if I buy the validity of it. We we, we can see the, uh, the seams in destiny one where clearly there was some developmental problems, but I I can't polished. see yeah exactly like uh, we've gone at length uh, praising Destiny two at least you know the campaign side of things so I I can't really see how it could have been to the same factor that the first one was and 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 maybe they changed direction on a couple small things but that's to be expected in the development of anything that releases at any point in time what you originally envision and what releases don't necessarily always match up I accept that to a certain degree. But like, yeah, the the story is cohesive from start to finish. The player experience is mostly cohesive. Well, we'll, the fuckery aside, um, it doesn't feel disjointed in the slightest. So when they're saying this, it almost feels like this is another one of those excuses that they're throwing out there to sort of deflect blame from the choices that are being made for the game. And that really bothers me. Because, listen, you get caught doing stupid shit, own it, learn from it, move on. You get caught doing more stupid shit, well, you shouldn't have done that, but you have two choices. Continue to do it and hope you don't get caught, or just clean up your fucking act. This just smacks of another thing of, like, an excuse of, well, you know, we couldn't plan for all of this stuff, and, you know, this is what happened, and this is why everything is the way it is. And it's like, no, these are choices you made and could have done differently. So is that what they claim in the Kotaku article or is that is that the argument that's being presented by Bungie or is that just Internet trying to cover the gaps? I think it's Internet trying to cover the gaps. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Let me ask you this now. And I don't expect that everybody's going to feel the same way because there's a lot of people, no doubt, who would like to play this game without there ever being a single microtransaction in the game. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but. The reality is there are ongoing costs that will surely not be covered by the sale of new games or games to new players. 
So you have to expect that there's going to be some monetization of some form throughout. And I'm willing to accept that. And it, I keep thinking back to prior to the fucking mounts debacle with Guild Wars, the system that they had where you know what you're buying and you can pick it up whenever you want, I feel worked fairly well. So when I am looking at all the clusterfucks that Bungie has done now with this this game and the 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 anger from the community at being deceived also i would have expected them to come out and not give this half ass shit but to point blank say how eververse is going to run and to say listen we understand that we screwed up yes and, and they're good at that and here's how we're going to fix it. And a lot of stuff will be available by going out and doing the content. And it's going to be hard, but you can, if you want, but we're also going to sell things, but it's not going to be loot boxes. It's not going to be a mystery, what you're going to get or anything like that. We're going to set up a system where if you want to buy these cosmetic items, then you can buy them or whatever it would be. Just not something that is game breaking per se kind of thing, but make sure that you have the options also available for people who want to grind, or if you want to just pick it up, depending on what's being offered. But I don't feel we got that. We didn't get the honesty that you would think after this many, oops, sorry, that we would get. It's still, Eververse is still murky as fuck, and it's still not clear if we're going to get fucked one more time or multiple times in the future with a lot of, oops, we tried, we'll fix it. I mean, right. this, is one of, this is one of those things where, I don't know if Bungie is necessarily 100% to blame. They're definitely complicit in this in some degree, but I keep going back to Activision holding the purse strings and they can terminate their contract at any point in time with Bungie and say, well, you, you did work great later. We're going to throw development over this IP that we now own because we bought it. Uh, you don't own this by the way we do to this other group. That's going to take care of it and just do whatever the hell we want. So, and I understand there's a certain amount of pressure with that, but it's like, I'm seeing the same trend in a lot of Activision games, if not all of them. So I can't necessarily just blame Bungie. I would I actually, I, I actually heard that Bungie was, and a, that is strictly speculation, rumor, but that Bungie actually pushed even more than Activision. And you know, I got no respect for Activision either, but uh, back up a, a little bit though. I did not realize that, that Activision owned the rights to Destiny now. They, as the developer, as part of their contract, own the production of those companies. It's not, Bungie doesn't own the IP. At least the last I checked. So I thought that was a big thing of them splitting from Microsoft was the fact that they didn't own Halo. I didn't know they would have jumped back into a similar licensing deal. Yeah, you should, I, 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 how do I put this? Paying your rent check makes you do weird things. Oh, I, I, I get it. <laughs> I'm not judging Bungie. Like, you do what you got to do. But, yeah, I didn't. I thought they at least had some ownership over the IP still. And they may, but it's one of those things where they may have, like, a percentage of it, but not the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's hundreds of contracts and layers of red tape and legalese to get through, but. Now, I, th- there also may be a clause in there or something, too, because I remember I remember something about when they signed with Activision, I think there was a 10-year contract in place that was supposed to give them uh, Destiny ownership to Bungie, but I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. And if that is, and if it still holds, and it is still something that Bungie holds all the cards, and they're making all the decisions on this, I, I really don't want that to be the case, but it's certainly within the realm of possibilities. But at that point, I'm just going to be even angrier. Like, cause it's, it's, I, I've, I love the game world. I love the game. I love everything that they're creating as far as the content actually goes and the presentation of the story and everything. It's fun. It's a fun game. And that's all I can ask for nowadays, but to have it marred like this, ugh, like just fuck off. Okay. Marty, you want to keep going with uh, what they also announced? 
what else? Maybe I missed something. I was looking something up. Uh, they did announce that with Eververse, they're going to give more options to directly buy the stuff that you will want to buy, but they didn't say how or when, but it looks like they want to get that before season three. And season three will happen after the Days of Crimson, which is like you get your, it's a 2v2 series of PvP matches um, that are actually a lot of fun. I, I If it's the same way they did it in D1, it like uh, my buddy and I would spend way too much time in the Crucible doing that. Okay. Um, I was talking also about the, they're putting masterwork in armor as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which will also be available to people who bought destiny Two, regardless of um, whether or not they bought curse of Osiris. So everybody's going to get masterwork armor, which will go to the speed possibly of activating your super or a special power like grenades and your melee abilities. Um, so masterwork armor will be now a thing. And it, I keep getting the feeling that they're looking to add more random perks to masterwork items. And um, it's a tier between it's a technically it's a legendary, but they're legend uh, instance specific legendaries for raid la- the raid, the raid layers that are coming out and high end content like uh, prestige nightfalls and to some degree heroic nightfall, heroic strikes. Uh, so they're going to add more and they're adding more to the achievement pool. And it seems like they're, they're going to up the rewards for particular events from everything from public events to the random high value targets that appear. Well, they're doing that with the strikes too, where they're getting rid of the timer. Thank fucking God. Uh, But then the faster you do it, the better rewards you get. So you can still take your time, not have to worry about it. That will also mean that you won't have to worry about that stupid fucking mechanic where the, the, you have to run around to, to, well, they might still do that. God, I hope they don't. I didn't hate the timer itself. Uh, I, I, I think that they're, you know, that added an extra layer of challenge, but the way the timer interacted with the mechanics didn't work. Some of them. The the timer itself wasn't a terrible idea, but everything together turned it into something quite annoying. That said, though, I, as somebody who is running the, um, the Nightfalls often with, I run it with Tristan, and then we pug a third member. So you never know what you're going to get. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that I'm top of the, the class, my class, but Tristan is pretty fucking good. <laughs> and the two of us do all right. So it's just one of those, uh, you never know who you're going to get. And sometimes they're not that great, which is fine. We don't mind. Tristan's very patient too. And we'll just take our time and keep doing it. But the problem is that sometimes you are not making it in time. And, you know, you'll try a couple of times and then it's like, okay, I hate to say it, but it's not us. It's you. Like, we're going to try with somebody else. So <laughs> I we don't mind taking somebody who's you know, significantly lower or not that good and also not getting the best of gear because we're a little slower. That's fine, but we'll get through it at least. And this person will also then have that tick on their, for the week that they did it. Yeah. I, I, I definitely see the appeal of running out of time. Isn't an instant fail. I, I, I think that's actually probably a good way to do it. Like I'm thinking of, um, when I was doing the Curse of Osiris adventures and you have to do the one heroic adventure to unlock the verses. Yeah, yeah. And I picked the one with um, the fallen. I, I forget the exact, but there's, I remember the first time you play through it, they're like, Oh, you got to hurry. The captain's going to get away. I'm like, Oh shit. So I'm rushing and I'm like halfway through. I'm like, there's no time limit. So when you actually play it on the heroic mode, there is a time limit ticking yep. down on you. Yep. But, and I was rushing, like I was, it was a bad combination of like modifiers, but I was busting ass through there. I got to the captain's room with like 25 seconds left, <laughs> went all out, still didn't quite get it. Timer ran out. I was like, fuck, but it didn't end the mission. It just spawned into it. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a good way to go about it. So yeah, with, with the nightfalls, you know, timer being present, but not an instant failure state. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I don't think there's a huge difference between the kind of loot you get when the timer runs out and when the timer doesn't. Because I was doing it the other day. I did them back to back, basically. And for, for some reason, I was able to do them like heroic adventures back to back, even though you're only supposed to do them one a day. I don't know what we did. But uh, one we did succeed, the one we didn't. 
and it was like one less mercury token like ooh you busted your ass for an extra mercury token that's a fucking piece of shit like that's yeah. not worth it so and then we're going to be seeing some changes to crucible too they will be introducing 6v6 which 6v6 really which nice. is going to be great yeah and then they're going to be doing some work on mods which fuck they need to cuz yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't bring up the mod 2.0 just because, like, there's like we're working on mod 2.0. We don't know when it's going to be done. It's complicated. I'm like, uh, okay, it's garbage, but yeah, make it work. Okay. Anything else on Destiny before we move on? Uh, as far as I know, there's been no additional rumors about the new, the next X Pack, and uh, we're all waiting with bated breath. And uh, if it would be very nice if it is a build off of Arecibo, uh, which it kind of looks like it's going to be like the Arecibo mission on IO, which if you have not done, go do. It's the best mission in it's the best uh, adventure in Destiny, I think. Destiny 2. Um, I'm hoping that's what we're going to get, but we'll see. OK, let's move on to the mini Nintendo Direct that we got last week. Um, I, Joe, I'm assuming you're still in the same boat as me, that this has become my favorite console to play now all the fucking time, which is saying a lot considering my love of the PlayStation 4. But holy fucking hell, I'm playing this thing all the fucking time now and absolutely loving it. So even though there wasn't a ton of stuff in in this Nintendo Direct, there were a few things that certainly caught my eye. There is plenty here, I think, actually, for a mini for Nintendo a mini, Direct. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm within the same boat as you, by the way. Uh, I don't can't remember the last time I turned on my PS4 or my Xbox as, as far as that goes. Like it's been the Switch or my PC and that's it. But we're starting to get some interesting ports, which is something that I've been asking for on the Switch for, well, since I got my hands on the console. And this has been apparently a very divisive topic for people. Like they want newer games that aren't ports but like some of the games that are getting ported are amazing last well i won't even say last gen but they're games that were great that nobody played because nobody bought a fucking wii u but i digress Um, i think it's a great idea i I I think think it's it's a fantastic idea it's the least i've hated updated ports in the history of the industry (laughs) well and, and i'll start with probably the the biggest one that i thought was like really really cool it's going to be the ultimate version of hyrule warriors is going to be available on the switch This is all of the DLC, all of the downloads, all of the campaigns, plus some new specific stuff for the Switch in one game. So you're going to be paying, you know, the the $60 price tag for a brand new game, but you're literally getting all of the previous content plus some. And what a game that was fantastic. It was something that hardly anybody played. But like when I played it at my friend's houses and stuff like that, it was fucking fun as shit. Um so I'm excited to see that. Uh, I am also excited in. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I never thought I'd be excited to see a fucking tennis game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we're going to agree to disagree on that one. I'm not so sure that I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> I, well, that's the thing, like on the GameCube, and I, I was talking about this with a couple of, a couple of the guys at work. Um, GameCube was one of my favorite consoles just because it was it had a lot of great titles. It was sort of quirky and weird. And and they did a lot of weird things like Mario Tennis and Mario Strikers, which were great games. They were better games than they had any fucking right to ever be. And they were fun as fuck. And they were fun to play multiplayer. And I like the idea of having an updated version of it. And now they're putting a story mode into it. So that like there's actually a story mode for you to to like play fucking tennis with Mario and Mario characters with like, and we're talking like Mario playing tennis and like the depths of like a fucking Aztec jungle ruins, like stuff like that. Like it's, it's crazy. And I'm really excited for it. Like I, I never thought I would utter those words, but there it is. And I am, there's also going to be the, the payday two uh, coming, which they talked a little bit more about. That looks um, freaking awesome. And the fact that you can, again, I keep, I know that this is old news, but because I was so like, I don't believe this is going to fucking work. It still continues to shock me, not shock me, but like I stop and think I'm playing a fucking full blown console in my hands Mm -hmm. anywhere I want. So to be able to play Payday 2 on this, which is justifiably a fucking good game on this 
whether I'm sitting on the shitter or I've got it on my monitor here in his dock, that is still continuing to impress me every day. So a a major title like this on there that is justifiably a great shooter, yeah, that's great news. And then, well, and I, I definitely agree with you on that one. Uh, but on this the same port vein, we're getting uh, Ease 8, uh, which is going to be another RPG-style game coming to the Switch, which, yes. That looks awesome. Please continue to give me more RPGs Fuck, on the Switch. That looks good. That looks amazing. You have uh, another port of a 3DS game, which is The World Ends With You Remixed. Um, it's going to have uh, new control options and stuff like that. They're going to be updating it so that it, it runs on the Switch. But this is one of the... F- one of the, and I wouldn't say first forays because there are a bunch of 3DS games that wound up on the Switch e-console or e-store. Uh, but it's interesting to see that they're willing to do that, which I think is cool. You know what? The, As, I, I think the, uh, sorry, let me just say this, Vince, mm-hmm. and then we'll cut to you. I think that the most important thing for people to think about when they're when they're thinking about ports, if you are bitched, if you're bitching and you're upset because of the number of ports that were introduced, remember this. The fact that they are introducing this many ports and it's continuing and it's by the sound of it going to continue to continue so we can expect a lot at some point, they're going to get to a port that you really want. Mm -hmm. So let them put as many fucking ports, let them be as successful as possible so that there's a higher chance then of the ones that you really care about making their way to this console as well. Well, to add on to that point, ports are really important, and a lot of people seem to forget this about almost every major console release that ever happens, and that's one of the big, massive, upfront loadings that usually they offer are ports of last-generation games. Xbox has been doing this since the original Xbox. Sony's been doing this since the original PlayStation. This is pretty normal, and it actually is a good sign. It means that they're injecting... uh, they're in, they're they're willing to put faith into injecting more titles in it while they work on other stuff. Now, Vince, you were going to say something, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to do a quick aside. The world ends with you is a phenomenal fucking game. Like, let's not. Uh, oh yeah, put that to, put that to the aside. Yeah. It was one of the premier games, I would say, on the 3DS systems. That it had so much flair and style. It's it's got a very unique storyline, great characters. Like a lot of the things people love about, you know, the persona franchise or uh, kingdom hearts. Like there's so many influences that you can see in this game that I'm, I'm particularly very interested in seeing how they handle the controls because in the original game, it was entirely touchscreen based, which is why I actually never finished it. I don't know if there was just something I was doing wrong or just my touchscreen on my 3DS well, wasn't as responsive as it needed to be for all the special attacks and whatnot. But because I, I would be very interested in playing this game with a more traditional control scheme. And that's going to be the option. Like, you're going to be able to do the classic control option, and it looks like they're going to be doing something specific to use, like a traditional controller. Yeah, because I, I, I would highly recommend this to anybody who has a chance to pick it up, because the original flew very under the radar on, on the handhelds, but... I, I really want this game to be very successful and re-release so we can see more. And I think it I will love be. the art style on it too. Oh my god, I love the art style of that game. You guys no. are making me want to switch, and I just bought a giant TV, and now you're making me want to buy. <laughs> well, you know, more shit. The switch will look really good on that giant TV. But yeah, I know it, Marty. There's more. Oh, good, good. Um, <laughs> I love another, capital. Another another game that's getting ported from the Wii U up to the Switch, which I think is long overdue, and I've actually been. I, I wanted this, and this is one of the ones that I called out. You can go back and listen to our old episodes uh, when I said, you know, games that I would like to see appear on the Switch. Uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Breeze, or Freeze, <laughs> is, is one of those games. That game is hilariously fun. It is great. It is a fantastic game. It is uh, one of the most well-played games, or at least one of my favorite games that I've played on my Wii U, and having it moved over to the fucking Switch, yes, please, like, that just makes perfect sense. And then I can take it with me, which is something I've always wanted to do with this game. Cause it's just, it, it's a Donkey Kong game. It's, it's fucking Donkey Kong country. It's another Donkey Kong country. Marty, when you were talking about games that you can play with your, was it your niece and nephew or just your nephew? I can't remember now. Niece and nephew. Like yeah. uh, Rosie's going to start playing games soon. The, these are the games, these oh, yeah. Donkey, Donkey Kong games and things like that. The, the Yoshi and everything else. That's, 
These were made to yeah, exactly. They were made to be played with your kids. Or in your case, my four-year-old nephew, nephew is still in the dinosaur phase, so a Yoshi game, yeah, exactly, would be perfect. I again, now, I keep playing with my my granddaughter, and soon enough, it's going to be with my grandson as well. And right now, we're not going to any of the other consoles. Like we are playing games on on the on the Switch. I just wanted to point out, Joe, how old are you, and you're still in the dinosaur phase? <laughs> Proudly, <laughs> I fucking love stompy dinosaurs. I'm happy, bro. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. I'm down with a, a Switch Yoshi game. Says the guy who's got a stitched fucking Godzilla thing that my wife made for him. <laughs> the greatest, greatest thing in our house. It's still the most prominently displayed. <laughs> but it, 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 this is the type of thing that is really great about it. And then you get certain things like that they announce, which is probably the biggest port announcement that you probably could ever say and again listen to our previous episodes i asked for this i fucking asked for this and i got it and i'm fucking happy uh praise the motherfucking sun y'all because dark souls <laughs> remastered is going to be released not only on all the, the current gen consoles that you would expect and the pc but also on the fucking switch i can take dark souls with me where i go places yes thank you and it I mean, that that alone is amazing. And this, to me, is partially from software testing the waters. Because if this yeah. does well and performs well, I we could very easily see them put other things on there. Not just, this, not just the Soul series, but we're talking like Bloodborne or anything that continues on to their next unnamed IP that they teased about with the bone and sinew. You bastards, give me my fucking game. <laughs> I would love to see Bloodborne on the uh, on the Switch. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, and I don't know what the the rules are or what that contract is with the exclusivity for Sony, but I would absolutely love to see it ported over. Like if the rule of the exclusivity says just not allowed to be on Xbox, fuck, skirt around that. Use that legality. Give me give me Bloodborne on my Switch. Damn it. That that's the type of stuff that I'm I'm excited to see because not only are we getting the child games, not only are we getting the traditional, you know, goofy Nintendo style games that feel good for the family, we're getting adult games, we're getting games like Doom and Dark Souls ported over onto the Switch, and Doom has proven that they runs really really yes. well. Yes, yeah. So I mean, like this is exciting. Um, and then on top of the ports, we did get some uh, other announcements of some DLC coming out um, for the switch for some of the games uh pokin uh tournament dx is going to have a, another pokemon which apparently this game is absolutely hysterical i oh, yeah, have it, never played it's it. not balanced in by any stretch of the imagination but that just makes it way more fun <laughs> oh yeah I'm, uh, i am if it comes on a good sale i'm seriously considering it because while i don't play myself fighting games tristan loves them and that's we play them together like we've actually been playing injustice 2 together and kind of having a lot of fun with it. It's it's actually, uh, even though I hate the character animations or the way they're designed for the most part, the game is freaking rock solid. So if this, mm -hmm. I would love to play this with him. Well, and they're adding, you know, such great ones in like, oh, Blastoise is a thing yeah. now. Oh, and some support Pokemon like Mew and Celebi are going to be there as well. Like, so for any of those hardcore Pokemon fans, super exciting news for them. Yeah. And then uh, the one that I thought was actually, well, two that I thought were really interesting, the Mario Odyssey update is mm -hmm. really intriguing. So not only are you going to be able to play as Luigi, which is going to be hysterical, um, but you can hide balloons in the world and it goes out to the other players in the world where they can go find them. It, they, it, Nintendo is embracing ever so slowly the this online community gameplay we saw this with like mario maker and stuff like that but now they're doing stuff like this where like you can go and you you're challenged to find the hidden balloon in a certain level in a certain amount of time it's cool it's a cool fucking concept i did it's, not hear if it was friends only or anybody kind of thing it's from what i can see it's going to be just like um uh, Mario Maker where it's you go into people's worlds and you can just go and do them randomly this is so great because when I look at this the first thing that comes to mind is oh my god it's multiplayer Riddler trophies 
Yes, yes because exactly. you're going to load up your friend's map or whatever and look up and go, how the fuck did they get a balloon up there? And how am I going to go get it down? Like, that's cool as shit. Like, I love it. I actually, that was one of the few things that surprised me how much I kind of thought, ooh, that could be fun. Because, like, Joe, fuck, we've known each other for going on 10 years now. And while we have played a few games together, we don't regularly play together any games. And part of that is schedules, different games that we play and all that. But the way that I looked at this is it's kind of doing the work for you. So you can lay a balloon down somewhere. And then when I feel like it, I can go look for it. And then you have that working together kind of thing and having fun as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of the, the, the joy of it, right? Like that's also a part of the joy of like Mario maker and not for those people that just make the impossible, like Kaizo levels. Um, but like interacting with your friends and creating a fun challenge for them. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. And like that, that's, it's so awesome, especially for our lifestyle. And, and um, I, again, I, and, and I'll let and go after this, but I was thinking sure. about it again and it's just to speak to the versatility of, of the device and if they can keep going with this kind of thing because I'm watching this thinking you know what's going to happen is that you're going to lay a balloon down somewhere and then Tristan and I will go and find it together because the couch co-op is a ton of fun in this game and he knows you as well so it'll be Mm -hmm. fun for the two of us to be working together essentially against you for something that you left there for us kind of thing it it really creates this this fun little you know, dynamic of this little gaming community where you can be doing these things. And even though you might have finished a level a a number of times, like gotten all of the items that you needed to get, well, if people are randomly throwing things around for you to go and hunt, that's as much fun as going and hunting a fucking, a star or a coin or anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you're hunting. So it's adding a lot of life to the game as well. And in, and, far more interactive with your friends and and that's what it's all about and i think that's really really cool now the other one that i thought was kind of fun is mario plus rabbids kingdom battle is getting a a new update as well um which is going to be a free update i believe is as well as the mario odyssey one's going to be a free one as well um they're adding donkey kong as a playable character to your team so like I was wondering why Donkey Kong wasn't there in the first place because there is totally a rabbit's Donkey Kong in that game that is absolutely ridiculous as far as like giant giant monstrosity rabbits go. But that game's super fun. If they keep adding like classic like Mario-ish characters or Nintendo characters in general to it and new levels to it, that could go on for a while. Like, oh yeah. I would legitimately buy an expansion to that game if they did like the whole XCOM thing where they released like an expansion of like the next kingdom battle give it to me like this this is a great concept keep them coming i agree i agree and that was it right that's really it there's some other minor things but like and we got a couple indie games like fee is going to be coming to uh, yeah we switch that, yeah and celeste and stuff like that uh that's but other than that like for as much as a small update was this was supposed to be there was a lot there it, in it wasn't just that there was a lot in the actual Nintendo Direct, but once again, is laying that groundwork looking forward to what we can expect. And in that regard, there's a lot to look forward to if these things succeed. So let's move on from there. Vince, your turn. Final Fantasy. Yeah, round about three months ago, we were just talking about Final Fantasy 14 releasing their first major content update in patch 4.1. Well, it's January, three months later, and 4.2 is right around the corner. Should be out by the end of this month, maybe early uh, February. So they are continuing to pump out content for this game, and it continues to be very cool shit. Uh, They haven't even fully announced uh, all of the stuff that's being added in, Uh, but we're uh, getting more of the main scenario storyline. Again, I still haven't finished the main scenario for Stormblood. But uh, again, the general concept here is you're trying to um, liberate the nation of Alamigo from the evil Garlean Empire. Uh, but you don't have the resources to do that yourself, so you have to partner with the other nearby nation of Doma. And once that's done, what we saw in 4.1 was dealing with rebuilding Alamigo. So now here in 4.2, 
they're heading back over to Doma to deal with some of the fallout over there. So it's great to see the story continuing to grow and treating uh, both aspects of the expansion uh, with equal importance. It's very nice. Uh, lots of new uh, side quests coming in. Very interesting one here. Not a lot of details. Uh, it's being referred to as the Jade Stoa. Don't ask me what that means. But it looks to be some sort of combination of the traditional uh, Japanese Journey to the West story that's been in so many pop culture things, combined with the uh, Chinese constellation mythology, because it says that uh, you're going to be dealing with the, uh, I forget if they call it a god specifically, well, the, the, the four lords, and you're starting off here with Biako, the white tiger. So it would lead me to believe that they're going to continue expanding on the side story quest, dealing uh, later on with Genbu, Suzaku, and Seiryu as well. So it, that's one of the coolest things here that we had with Stormblood was so much. Like, it's obviously been a very Japanese-influenced game because it's Japanese-developed, but they really dove deep into traditional Japanese and Chinese cultures in this expansion. So it's great to see them still going back to that well with new and interesting quest lines. I know that for... Wow, with uh, Pandaren, some of the funnest quests that I thought were the ones that where you were dealing with those elemental creatures kind of thing that sounds like it could be fairly similar to to this kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. What were their names? Joe, what's the, the tiger's name? You know what I'm even talking about? I don't remember off the top of my head. Oh, okay. But you know what I'm talking about though, right? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it sounds kind of similar to that, and that was some fun fucking questing. I love that stuff. Right. Uh, beyond that, we're getting a couple new dungeons, a lot of changes to the PvP system, uh, the Feast, which is their version of, like, super competitive arena PvP, uh, with actually the ability to make your own, like, cross-server PvP teams uh, with up to six players in each team, which is actually kind of important because the P- Feast PvP is actually 4v4. So there's a lot of, like, being able to have, you know, not needing all four of your people online at the same time to play it. You can have alternates and, and stuff there. Maybe we'll get some Final Fantasy esports in the future. Who knows? Uh, but also as a, as a thing that Final Fantasy 14 does with their PvP is PvP and PvE are 100% segmented. And this is something that comes across a lot in WoW as well as Destiny insofar as like the skills themselves are completely different. When you go into PvP, you have a completely different hotbar with completely different skills. Well, not completely different. They're pretty much different versions of the same skills that you have in PvE content. But it allows them to balance the two modes a lot easier, which I appreciate. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we get another set of Beast Tribe quests. So Final Fantasy XIV, the Beast Tribes are kind of like their daily quest system where you can earn reputation and get uh, cool loot. So in 4.1, they added in the Kojin, which are like, you know, literally the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and then uh, what they're adding in here is the Ananta, which are like a Naga-like uh, serpent species of warrior women. And uh, they, they pop up throughout the story, but now what they're doing is they're taking this opportunity with their Beast Tribe quest lines to actually give them their own story outside of the main scenario. And this one is focusing on uh, Vera, who is uh, like heir to the throne of this warrior race, but she's not much of a warrior herself. So you're going to be helping her out with, you know, random dailies. Let's be honest, it's kind of typical MMO fare. But as you're going through it, you're you're helping her learn to lead her people, which I find very interesting. And the last biggest and most welcome update is to the true endgame of Final Fantasy XIV. Not raiding, not PvP, glamour and aesthetics. So Final Fantasy's transmog system is something they refer to as glamour, where if you have one item and another item, you can essentially copy the appearance of one item onto another. But for people who really enjoy the glamour system, hi, Alicia. I was going to say, yeah, I wonder who that is. (laughs) Inventory space is an issue, to say the least, because you have to keep all of those original items around because every time you get a new piece of gear, you have to copy the appearance over again. So now what they're doing here is they're instituting a system known as the Glamour Dresser, where if you have an item you want to use for Glamour, you can just straight up turn it into a Glamour and it goes into your dresser. It stops taking up inventory space. And then you have this entire wardrobe that you can mix, you can match, you can dye, you can set up. Uh, I think the screenshot they showed here was... 
10 different outfits. And I'm, I would assume that's something you can expand. And then just with the click of a button, you can put on whatever outfit you want visually on top of your you know, actual mechanical gear. So thank God this is a long awaited system. And uh, it looks like they're actually implementing it very smartly as well. So lots of great stuff on the horizon. And again, 4.0 the, with Stormblood, it's been about six months at this point, And we're on our second major content update. The future of this game continues to be bright. Yeah, no kidding. Ironically, I was just talking to Sushi about that yesterday. I was watching her stream and I was saying, you know, if it wasn't for the cost, I would probably jump back in. Well, no, probably. I would love to jump back in. Mm-hmm. But I've got a backlog of fucking games to get through already. And that money with the currency conversion is just not worth it. But I would love to play it again. I, I miss it, actually. I, which is funny because I do not fucking miss WoW. But I actually miss <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV. Okay, well, w- it's w- not going anywhere. Yeah, this is true. Okay, Marty, you wanted to talk about uh, Battletech. Yeah. So back in the day, for those of us of a certain age, the 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 real um, game that we encountered, where you got to take your giant robot and beat the shit out of somebody else's giant robot with pen and paper, was Battletech. And I remember early high school, uh, my buddies trying to get me into this game. Uh, and then in college, Mech Warrior was a huge thing. And I actually bought the game to play on my room, not my roommates, but my next door neighbor's PC. And like he would use my computer to write a paper and I would use his computer to, to play games, <laughs> which was great. But now uh, Brain Schemes and Paradox, the people who brought you Stellaris, are going to be this year bringing us a new version of Battletech. It is a turn-based strategy game set in 3025 which is the beginning year no clans no comstar nothing no weird expansions that might mean someone who has a stack of fafa books in their in their attic or in their parents basement but it looks so much fun it is a turn-based strategy game where you move your mac and you're going to shoot somebody else's mac and there looks to be like there's a story mode and there is multiplayer and the beta looks great, and uh, I need to find more people playing this beta who played old school Battletech, whether it's first edition or second edition, uh, and see what their take on this is because it looks just like how you want it to look if you played this game uh, long before computers were even able to do the math to uh, make these graphics look pretty. So I am so excited about this game, guys. Like. I'm going to have to run it at my Windows partition, but whatever. It's totally going to be worth it. What's the uh, estimated street date? There is none. Okay. Uh, it, there's a beta program going on right now. Um, there is no, but there is no estimated street time. They're saying the first half of 2018. Yeah, I'm going to see if, if I can get into that beta because it looks freaking cool. If, if, if you follow Mitch, uh, Mitch Gittleman on uh, Twitter, he's been hinting at a summer release. Summer this year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's still it listed on the harebrained website as 2017, so maybe. Well, they they got to push back too, because don't forget this was a this was originally started as a Kickstarter thing too. Just like that's what I thought. Just like the other harebrained scheme games, like the yeah. Shadowrun games and stuff like that. Right. Uh, it, by the same team, because Shadowrun yeah. and BattleTech were were by the same company back in the yes. day. Yeah, and despite oh, all oh, the I'm, clusterfucks. I'm aware. <laughs> oh, Joe, that wasn't for you. I, I, mean, I think I even been for Vince. I think that was for Roger's sake and for some of us who, you know, who are not as big a nerds back in the day. But, you know, I'm a gate opener, not a gatekeeper. Okay, how about we move on to Sega? Because, Joe, you were pretty excited about that, too. Yeah, Sega! I'll, I'll make this one really quick, but, like, I'm super excited about this. So, uh, Retrobit is a company that makes... Uh, new products for old systems. And we're talking like controllers, adapters, um, different uh, audio visual setups so you can plug into modern TVs without having to use the old coaxes or or any of the our, our weird RCA jacks that didn't actually really work. Uh, so they've been around for a while and they also make uh, retro consoles too. So they do almost like the the, not Hyperkin, but like they do like arcade ones where it's all built into the controller and and stuff like that. They, they've been around for a while. They have a lot of cool stuff out there. 
Um, well, they, they've announced a partnership with Sega in such a way that they've announced that there's going to be new peripherals for the Saturn and the Dreamcast. We're talking like Bluetooth wireless controllers. We're talking and, and, and Sega has given them the original molds for the controllers to make these things. So like up to spec of all the stuff, uh, HDMI adapters and all sorts of things like that. And it's really, really cool. And they showcased them at CES this year, uh, but they just look fantastic. And everybody's gotten their hands on them. So they feel great. And for retro players that love those consoles, like I do, like I'm a diehard Dreamcast fan. This is great news because I would love a wireless controller for my fucking Dreamcast so I can sit on my couch and play on my TV across the room and just be able to play Fantasy Star Online on there. Wait, you don't think it's going to be set up for your actual Dreamcast? I would think that they're working on... Fine, then. (laughs) Have you you not seen this? It's a a Bluetooth receiver that plugs into the the controller port. (laughs) And then the, 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 the video output adapter is going to plug into the video output adapter of the old, the, the old setup. Like this, they've done this for other consoles before. Like it's really fucking cool. Another company that does it is 8BitDo, where they do it with like the Nintendo controllers and the Super Nintendo controllers, where they're the classic style controllers, and they literally plug into the standard controller part of the old console and connect via Bluetooth. It is fantastic. Now, two interesting things also is Retrobit also picks up indie games that people make for the old consoles. So we might potentially see some of the uh, homebrew uh, games for like the Saturn and the the, Genesis, uh, the Dreamcast come out as official physical releases, which would be absolutely fucking wild to me. And I think there might be something else coming because Sega's Twitter has been active lately and they're usually not active at all. And they're saying that in two days, that's, they're going to announce something. I'm really fucking curious what the hell they're going to do. Because it could totally be a brand new console. It could not like a new console, like a new Sega console. I mean, like a updated version of the classic consoles. Because if Sega gave them the original molds for the controllers, they might give them the original molds for the actual console cases. Could you imagine new old stock? That would be fucking amazing. That's what I was trying to say, motherfucker, but you wouldn't (laughs) let me talk. That's exactly what I was going to say. But oh no, the old man does no fuck all. But yeah, with the the fact that they would have seen the Super Nintendo little whatchamacallits selling out like fucking crazy, there's no doubt in my mind that those console makers, the older ones, are thinking, yeah, you know what? If we release it, put a an SSD in there, slap a whole bunch of ROMs inside of it, and sell it for X amount of hundreds. People will fucking buy it. I would buy one because when it originally came out, we were trying our best not to lose the fucking house. Forget about buying a Dreamcast. Yeah. So something like this where it's a modern one that I don't have to worry about homebrewing, no, not worrying about how I'm going to plug it into my TV, fuck all like that. Plus it has the advantage of having Bluetooth controllers and shit like that. Pff, sign me up. In a heartbeat, I'll do that. Hey. It- the Dreamcast uh, remains the fa- my favorite console I have ever owned. Yes. So I'm trying not to get myself too excited. But then I'm also thinking you could put a smartphone app to do the little uh, what the hell was the, the little thing called that you stuck in the controller? That was the memory card and like its own little console. Yeah, the I can't remember, the Nomad or whatever. That no, wasn't the Nomad. No, uh, shit. The memory. Yeah, thing. yeah. So like it had its own little mini games like, oh, my God. <laughs> now I'm just like. I'm fantasy the VMU engineering. Yes. yes. I'm fantasy engineering a modern day Dreamcast. <laughs> but yeah, like that was that was also a wild thing where like you could I remember for Sonic it was a big deal. Because you had because, the Chow Garden. Yeah, you had the Chow Garden. Guys of Arcadia, like yeah. it was uh, it had its own little mini game, plus like there was uh like actual hidden treasures in the game that would uh, respond on the VMU screen instead of in the in the real world. So like, oh man, yeah, it was I one of those guys of Arcadia again. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and I think you're going to be able to. It's just one of those things where I I think the Dreamcast was a system way above, like way before its time, with all the things it offered and what it could do at the time it was crazy. And now we just kind of 
expect all these features that these consoles have. Sega did it first and to see it get some love and some attention from Sega, who is, I don't know really what the fuck they've been doing for the last couple decades. Cause it sure hasn't been a whole hell of a lot, but yeah, this that's I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the hell's going to happen. Well, we'll have something to talk about definitely next week after they have announced it. So with that, we are actually going to wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. There is a really great um, episode of D&D that we recorded yesterday. It was the ending of a chapter of our campaign. It was fucking epic. We had so much fun. Make sure to check it out. And there's going to be another History 201 with uh, Marty for uh, Destiny at the end of this. And you can, of course, find us at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's time to go, folks. Individually, Joe is Loader ZJ Vincent Simodian. Marty is Officer Gleason. And I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, you can find us back again on Monday of next week for another episode. Thanks, and we'll talk to you guys later. Alright class, let's talk about the Taken. If you've run into them on Io, if you've run into them on Earth, if you've run into them anywhere in our solar system, you might be wondering, what the hell? Well, Professor Poe will explain what the hell, because these are some of the first entities we've ever faced that are directly related to the darkness. Now, the hives serve the darkness. That's never been in question. The Vex worship the darkness. That doesn't mean they actively serve them. But when we come to the Taken, as you see, again, a lot of this is, is speculation. A lot of this is untested. A lot of this is just unscientific. But from the books of sorrow, we have a description of how Oryx became Oryx, how the, qu uh, the queen of the hive became the king of the hive, and what was sacrificed in order to do this. See, it turns out that the hive uh, went up against a foe known as the Ecumene, and the Ecumene had very powerful AI, almost as strong as Rasputin, from what we could tell, and they couldn't defeat it. So Oryx navigated a new way to find out how to win. And to do so, she killed her sisters. Uh, Sabathun and, I don't remember the other one's name, Tabitha, Janice, uh, maybe some crazy alien name, who knows. Anyway, to do that, travel to the dark and learn from the worm gods that the dark doesn't give. You have to take it. That's why Oryx took, his, took her sister's lives and that's what Oryx did when she killed Akka, the worm god, who controlled the Taken, and took from them and its flesh, like that's in the Books of Sorrow, it's kind of gross, the Tablets of Ruin. Uh, well, he wrote the Tablets of Ruin from its ruined flesh, but whatever. Learning how to take uh, their power. And from what we can tell with the Taken, uh, their essence, their being their philosophical nature in a platonic sense is removed from them and sharpened uh, with a knife of part of the sword logic. That's all very esoteric, but in short, what Oryx learned to do was to take their nature and make it his own. And that is where the Taken come from. Now the thing is we killed Oryx. What's left of its body, and we, when we say we killed it, we killed them on its, we killed it on its high mind. It's, uh, the high wars is, is what its throne world is called, where it hid its death. And by killing him there, allegedly he's dead for good. Except there's a problem with that. You see, Oryx killed her sisters in their throne worlds, where they had also hidden their deaths but she brought her sisters back as well. So nothing really is going to prevent them from bringing Oryx back if Oryx brought back 
his sisters. Um, there is one additional thing we need to talk about. Uh, rumor has it that the that creatures are still being taken. But if only Oryx had the power to take, who has now learned how to take other beings? This is a problem. And that the Taken are beginning to grow and learn. Leaderless, I guess, they're becoming tribal or finding their own leadership, or they found some new patron to work with. Reports are coming in that Sabathun is behind this, but we can't prove that. But we should be worried about that. Because the Taken represent a force of pure darkness molded in the molded in the shape of things that are familiar to us. Vex can be taken because they're organic. And if you notice, there are no taken harpies, but there are Vex access mines that have been taken. Um, same with the Fallen. The Fallen uh, dregs and wretches and vandals have all been taken, and captains. But their tracers and their shanks have never been taken. And the Cabal, we haven't seen any of their Cabal war dogs. So it might not just be a question of intelligence, uh, but it also could be a question of organic nature, but also a question of, of intelligence and sapience. In short, the Taken are the closest thing we are ever faced to the darkness, coming from, in fact, the darkness and the worm gods that serve the darkness completely. And we have to be careful for them, because if they are gaining power and they have found a way to connect with Savathun, who is the taken form of, excuse me, the hive goddess of trickery. Well, the war's about to get a little bit more complicated. And this has been Professor Pogue. Uh, you'll note that your grades are up. If you would like to see them or talk with me about them, that's fine. Uh, but uh, office hours are quickly coming to a close. So hurry up, get me your papers if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.